Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women by sharing their unique stories and empower a community through the mission and their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, a former school teacher and principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. Each week, we will feature stories from women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome back to the In Awe Podcast and a final episode on this gratitude series. This month has been full of uplifting messages from women who remind us that being grateful amidst trial can impact our well-being in significant ways. Their real stories of practicing gratitude have inspired listeners all month, and I am really excited to share with you today's guest. Elizabeth Bostwick is a multi-award winning educator who is passionate about creating the conditions to spark curiosity and unleash creativity to empower learning. She is the author of Take the Leap, Ignite a Culture of Innovation, and co-author of Education Right Now, Volume 2, Top Strategies for Improving Relationships and Culture. As an instructional coach supporting K-12 teachers, Elizabeth serves alongside colleagues to deepen learning, leveraging highly effective strategies that engage and empower all learners to maximize growth. With her passion for creating a long-lasting, positive impact on education, Elizabeth inspires others to identify how we can cultivate systemic change and develop essential success skills to ensure learners are future ready. In today's episode, Elizabeth helps us to consider the power of gratitude in our own lives, as well as infusing it into classrooms and our homes. Through her story, we learn how we too can intentionally practice gratitude in authentic ways that impact our own minds, as well as the power that we have to influence others. I am honored to share with you Elizabeth Bostwick's gratitude story. Welcome, Elizabeth Bostwick, to the In Awe Podcast. I am so excited to have you featured so that my listeners can get to know your story today. Oh, thank you so much for having me here. I've been so excited to have this conversation with you. The fun part is that I'm going to get to know you better, Elizabeth, today, just like my (laughs) listeners are, because we've been connected for a good little while on social media, but this is our first time having a really nice, uh, longer interaction. And I'm so excited because I've been so inspired by you for a long, long time. So I know this is going to be a lot of fun. Oh, thank you so much. I've been inspired by you as well. Yay. Okay. So Elizabeth, I introduced you in the intro here at the bio, but would you just do me a favor and share a little bit about your current context so my listeners who are not familiar with you might get to know you a little bit better? Oh, sure. So I'm Elizabeth and I live in the Finger Lakes region of New York in a small town called Horseheads. And it's really a beautiful area. We are just outside of Corning or you may be familiar with the Ithaca area. So we live in a really beautiful area with lots of waterfalls. And so it's just a really nice place to be. And currently, I work as an instructional coach and also as an innovative teaching and learning consultant. So I will go and work with schools. I I travel to conferences locally and nationally to speak and present as well. Well, that's exciting. And I love the idea of waterfalls. And I, I, I don't know if as a New Yorker, are you familiar with this whole idea when you're traveling? People are like, well, you don't sound like you're from New York. Or do they make assumptions about that you're close to New York City, but you're really not in that region? Do you encounter that a lot? Everybody, everybody always assumes when I say New York, they think New York City. And so yes, that's New York City is a wonderful place to go, but we're about four hours north of there, um, but we're, we sit close to the border of Pennsylvania. So yeah, New York is a huge state. Well, good. I hope we busted open some misconceptions for our listeners. I <laughs> recently traveled to close to your area, I think is Syracuse area. And I was chuckling because my daughter was all frustrated with me because she's like, I can't believe you're going to get to see the Statue of Liberty. And I said, well, I'm not actually. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a ways for sure. 
And so you say that you get to travel to schools and, and things like that. So what um, what is the work that you do when you're working as a consultant and you're traveling to other places that are not your home base? So a lot of the work that I get to do is working directly with teachers and other staff members on creating a culture of innovation. So what that means is we really look at the foundation of what is our school culture when it comes to developing relationships first and foremost. And then we go into looking at how we can empower learning and creating opportunities so that students feel like they have more ownership. And we do that through all different avenues. They could be um, instructional strategies. We're going to have those everywhere, but then with project-based or problem-based learning, a makerspace and some schools want some support bringing in some passion projects and opportunities like that. And so ultimately, my goal is to help schools create that culture where every individual really thrives and ultimately everybody can reach their full potential. But it all starts with relationships and culture. I love that. It's so cool. And so then that's one role that you serve. But then another is, um, you said instructional coaching. So for our listeners that don't know what that might be, and even in the context that you're in, what does that look like for you? Sure. Well, to be honest, my day changes um, day to day. My day is different. So as an instructional coach, oftentimes I do work with teachers to improve instructional strategy and engagement and incorporate learning protocols in the classroom. But I also have a large focus on project-based learning and helping to see how we can spread that without within our region. But then also I work with integrating technology into the classroom to deepen engagement and creating opportunities where students can really amplify their voice and share what it is that they're interested in or even demonstrate their learning. So it's really looking at purposeful uses of technology. So, um, but I'm also working with one school in this capacity and in the role that I'm in at creating a makerspace, which is a place where kids can go and create and make and explore using all types of different resources and materials. So it's really, you know, each week and each day brings something different. So it keeps me on my toes and I I love it. And the best is when I get to work alongside teachers and especially if I get to, to work directly with students. And I love that idea of just that impact that you have both locally and just, um, wide ranging in those roles that you serve. And so there, I actually know some of my listeners are not in education. So when we toss out um, acronyms and maker spaces and all of that, I'm glad that you explained that just a little bit. Would you share maybe an example of a project that a student would do, would create in a maker space? What does that look like? So I'll give you one example that we did before is we did a cardboard box challenge. And so we started with a video by Kane's Arcade, and it was about a little boy who created his own arcade using all types of different cardboard boxes. And then people in the community would come in and play the games. And so he had such a zest for creating and making and sharing that it inspired our students to do the same. And so our students had their own ideas. They designed their prototypes by drawing them out. And then they shared their ideas with their friends in the classroom. They got feedback, went back and redesigned their prototypes and made adjustments. And after that, we created our own arcade. And it was really neat. We actually showcased our creations at our local Barnes and Noble, where family and community members and um, other kids could come in and get to interact with the game. So it was really a neat experience. And, you know, if you have children 
in school, it might be an idea to share with the school if they don't have a makerspace, but you can even create your own little in-home makerspace. And I think a lot of us do. And it's funny because sometimes kids will love gifts at Christmas, but they always love those cardboard boxes. So, so many things you can do. I was actually thinking that as you were talking and what brilliance brilliance (laughs) that is, because I don't know how many times we've laughed or say that especially when they were really little, how they love the cardboard box more than the actual gift that came into it. And it's always fun when the girls, my girls in particular, will grab a cardboard box and make, I don't know, they, they we have a puppy and so they made house for it and they've gotten these intricate malls and all of that. So it's just so cool that you're fostering that natural joy that I think many of us have experienced with our own kids into the context of the learning environment. How fun. It, it really is. For sure. So you have this awesome, you know, project that you wrote called Take the Leap, Ignite a Culture of Innovation. And so I imagine that some of the content in there is from what you've done in the classroom yourself. So do you want to share just a little bit about if our listeners, which I know they're going to want to get to know you better, are interested in picking up that book? What, what might they read about in that particular project? You know, my book actually does, even though it's written for educators, I think it resonates with a lot of parents. And so I share a story in there and I share, I share my journey um, through education that, you know, in my first few years of teaching, well, to begin with as a first new first year teacher or a new teacher, I was so excited to go in and transform learning experiences because I struggled through school. Um, I think looking back, I wasn't as, I don't, I'm not sure if I wasn't as engaged or if it was just that I needed different strategies, but my learning struggled here and there throughout the years. And so I went into education thinking I wanted to do things differently. I wanted school to be impactful, but I wanted it to also be really fun. I wanted it to be a place that kids wanted to be, not a place they wanted to turn away from and and get out from. And so I went into that with that mindset and then everything hit me, all of the mandates, the pressures, the stresses that came, um, even the expectation to stick along with whatever resources and trade books and textbooks that the the district wanted us to use. And, And it wasn't bad per se. It was just different than what I had envisioned. And so I didn't know how to navigate that because I was new and I was so young and we had our firstborn child at the time as well. So there was a lot of things happening. Well, by the time our second child came along, I wasn't sure if I was going to return to education. I ended up staying home for almost three years with both of our kids. And during that time, I thought I was going to go into a different pathway because I really realized that what I thought I was going to do in education didn't match up with what it was like, what it felt like. And I almost did that. But then being home with our children actually just rejuvenated my joy and love for learning and what I set out to do. I got to see through their eyes what learning was like as they were little and young and how much exploration they did and how they learned through playing with hands-on materials and items. And it just kind of re-sparked my love for it. And I went back into education. And this time I had a different idea of how I was going to navigate it because it was many years later. And, and I did just that. And so over the course of the years, I look at it that I really did take the leap. Like I totally transformed what I was doing in the classroom. And I really held true to what I felt education should all be should be about from not just an educator lens, but also as a parent lens. And I thought that was really important. Um, one thing that I pride myself on is always connecting with my students and meeting them where they're at and helping them to really thrive, but also connecting with parents and our community, because I think that's so important. And parents want to really feel that they're a part of it. So a lot, you know, my book shares a lot of how we can create 
opportunities to empower our students, but also how we can create authentic learning. Um, and sometimes it, I think it's a book too that parents can connect with and, and understand how they can advocate for what their children need or what they would benefit from in schools. I love so much that you made that connection and that you shared that personal story about you had all these visions or how you're going to change the world as a teacher. And I think so, so much of us that went into education probably have a similar story that's just aligning right with that and resonating, but you pushed through and created this wonderful culture. I'm so glad that you rose up and wrote about it too, so that more people could feel both bolstered. I think it's so hard um, because we do get caught up in the mandates and the accountability and forget all the really great things we learned about what we should be doing (laughs) versus what we fall into maybe. So that's just a a beautiful mission that you're on. And I love it. Well, thank you. And and I think a big part of it for me was being able to step back and just appreciate the little moments in the day, you know, the stresses and all the things that there are to do on our to-do list, they're going to keep being there. They're not going to go away. But I think that if we can slow down and appreciate where children are and getting to know our colleagues and developing that sense of gratitude for every individual and just for the gift that we get to have the impact on, on students and our community, I think is what is so powerful. Oh, so on. And I'm just so grateful that you would bring it to that level because here we have you featured in the series on gratitude. And I, I uh, value that you use that term. So I know that one of the things you, you've talked about in your own life journey is this idea of learning to slow down and maybe that how that could have built some gratitude into your life. So do you want to talk about your own maybe personal practices of gratitude and how you foster that in your own life? Sure. So gratitude is something, honestly, that doesn't come naturally to me. It doesn't mean that I don't appreciate people or um, all the blessings or don't count count my blessings because I do, but slowing down and actually recognizing what I'm grateful for and what's good in my life is kind of a new practice. And so I'm really excited to be able to share on that. Um, I'm really somebody who throughout my whole life has always had so many things going on. I was a three season athlete. I danced multiple hours a week at a dance studio, did competitions. And I was always a high flyer because I worked hard at everything. And while that's wonderful and amazing, at the same time, sometimes that drive and that energy can come at such a cost. And so for me, this year in particular, I started to slow down and just appreciate what I had around me. And it's been really transformational because the more I focus on what I'm grateful for, the more healthy I think. And I don't tend to go down the negative pathway of thoughts. And and not that I was a negative thinker because I do look at myself like I'm somebody who looks for the positives, but I find my brain defaulting to thinking more positive the more that I think about what I'm grateful for. And so I think it's been just really a great experience for me. And it actually happened... I mean, I spoke to some friends about gratitude journaling and I do gratitude journal each morning. But then what I also started doing is I always walked every single evening. Like I took our dogs for a walk and um, sometimes I would rush them along because for me, I was walking because I'm like, okay, you guys need to get some exercise. I want to get to my move goal and I have to get back home to do everything else that needs to be done in in a busy home. Um, But one night, 
our one dog, Marley, just kind of slowed down and he was sniffing the grass and it just hit me. And I'm like, I am rushing these dogs through their walk. And I'm like, I'm rushing myself through the walk. In addition to that, the sky had just the most beautiful clouds and coloring and shading. And it just, I just paused in that moment and I realized how much I'm just rushing on to the next thing. And for me, it was really important to slow down and say, okay, he, I'm in the here and now, and who am I with in the moment? I want to make sure that I'm present in, in being able to give people the attention they deserve. So that's been just a really important part of my life. That's a really exceptional example that, um, you know, you can have a practice, you're doing the gratitude journaling and that's one thing and it's really good. But then you layer on this idea that you're out there with your, of all moments that it's with your dog that gave you that clarity. I think we all need a point of clarity and it sounds like that's the one that you came to. And I just really appreciate those examples. And I also really appreciate, thank you for sharing that gratitude doesn't always just come naturally, especially when you're a person who's used to the go, go, go. And I think that's the majority of our culture. You know, we're so used to being so busy and achieving and striving. And I'm going to say that I would think that uh, women tend to struggle with this a little bit too, because anytime you're trying to achieve and um, work at it, you just have the extra layer of <laughs> What we know is two women in the United States do two thirds of more of the non-paid work in the home. And so sometimes it just feels like you can't really slow down if you're going to keep it all together. I don't know if that resonates with you at all. No, it completely resonates with me. And I think that's why it's been so important for me to slow down. I mean, we have a 12-year-old, soon to be 13, and a 15-year-old. And you might think, oh, well, they're in their teen years, they'll be a little bit more independent, but they actually need more support, but just in a different way than when they were little. And so, yeah, sometimes it feels like everything in life can fly at you from different locations. And so stepping back from everything and expressing what we're grateful for just goes a long way. It really makes an impact. But I think you're right that so often in our lives, women in particular are taking on so much more. Plus they're trying to accomplish their own dreams at the same time. And, and I'm really fortunate. My husband does a ton to help around the house and work with the kids and all of that. However, the kids still tend to go to mom. They still need different things. And it's just just kind of the way it goes. Yeah. And it's good that, you know, for listeners, not everybody has a spouse to help with all the things. And it's for you to appreciate that your husband does that and mine does too. You know, it's a, it's a partnership for sure. But that's that, that busy bad culture is really hard to overcome. So I'm thankful that you brought it up and that it's a part. And I think that when I kind of put it back in the context because I think you're going to have some really good things to say for our listeners to hear about. There's a transformative power uh, of gratitude in our own lives, but we can spread that elsewhere. And I think a lot of times as a person who's you know worked in schools and I've got children in school and my husband uh, you know works in a school, we just live that pace. And, uh, and sometimes you get like 20 minutes to eat, right? And it's just, you're always used to this bell moving you right along. And it gets it, I think it, that busyness is perpetuated right from the beginning in our systems. And so I just really appreciate that you've been a part of and that part of what you're doing is innovation. And I think you'd have some really great things to share in terms of how you use gratitude in the classroom. So could you maybe expand on that a little bit for our listeners? Absolutely. So fostering the spirit of gratitude within, in, within the classroom and as part of the school culture can also be really transformational. And so for me, myself, it's so easy to get caught up in everything that I'm doing and thinking about what else I need to be doing. And I think the same goes for our students and our colleagues as well. Um, for our students, it's 
not much different than it is for us. And we might think, oh, they don't have the same pressures or the same stress. But when they enter the classroom and if they're bombarded with, okay, first we have to get our name on this. And the next thing we have to fill this out. And they have so many tasks throughout the day. They're not allowed to slow down and just be able to process information or even get in tune with how they're feeling throughout the day to self-regulate. And so it's been really helpful when I was in the classroom and even some things that I share with teachers now and working with them is that we can do gratitude journaling with students. So some of the ideas that we've done is we had a gratitude bulletin board. And with that, we could post up anything it is that we were thankful for for our peers, it might be other teachers. And with younger students, we would have sentence strips up. So it may say, I'm grateful for blank because they helped me with blank. And so sometimes those sentence strips or sentence stems um, really help kids to just frame their thinking. And the more we do that, the more it becomes more natural for them to recognize that there are so many people in their lives besides just their teacher who are making an impact on them. And so helping kids to be able to see that their peers are by their side and maybe picking up their pencils or just listening to them when they have something to share might be just something that's really meaningful to them. We've also had centers in the classroom where kids rotated around to stations and created random acts of kindness that they could then share to others in the school. Um, We've also done shine share cards. And so those are actually created with our team through Ignite Your Shine with Lavana Roth. And those shine share cards, the kids, we had them accessible in the classroom. And on the cards, it says, you shine because, and then they could write down why somebody shines. And then they would hand it to somebody else or tuck it away in a book for somebody to find later. And so a lot of that is learning to express gratitude, but also looking at how we can uplift and add value to others. And I think doing both in combination really helps to set that positive school culture where everybody is kind of positioned to do their best and feel their best. Well, and it matters a lot, um, you know, if we're forgetting to do these things and if we're not intentional about it in our own lives and we're not um, intentional about spreading that around us and sharing a message and helping others do that, then we're missing out on the opportunity to become our best versions. And I love so much how you talked about the shine cards. And I think about like my fifth grader and my second grader, unless that's being modeled or facilitated in their lives, both here at home and at school, it's not something that just comes naturally for you to think or say the positives, right? Like the compliments. And so unfortunately then what's happening is all we're taking in is the negative. So I just love so much the work that you're doing because it has such power and impact on kids and schools and the everyday, if we can create those like ripple effects that become habits uh, for our kids and for one another, it's just so critical and important. So thank you for doing that work and don't stop. (laughs) Don't ever stop. (laughs) Right. I want to add too that at home, we have a gratitude jar and in our gratitude jar, what we did is we placed whatever it is that we're thankful for, whenever we feel that you know, feel inspired to do so, we add it to the jar. And then at the end of the year, before we start the new year, we're going to take them out and read those. So it's just a nice way at home to model that as well. Um, I think it's so easy even for our kids today to go and have more negative thoughts and negative thinking. And sometimes it's the impact of being on social media. They're bombarded by what's expected of them or how to act or how to dress or how to behave. And, and they have so many different influences on them that 
it's really helpful to help kids at home and school be able to slow down and find the good in their lives and not always compare who they are to somebody else. You hit the nail right on the head there. And I know there's a couple of different research studies that I've been looking at and I've had this conversation um, recently in our home is this idea that is it, I've seen two different studies. One is there's a five to one ratio. So you need to have um, five positive per one negative interaction. I've seen a three to one ratio. So either way though, like we know that you need to have more positive to counteract the negative because the negative is just going to seep right in. It's just for some reason, so easy to listen to that. Um, more than it is to listen to the positive or to focus on the 97 correct you had on an assignment or a test instead of focusing, you focus on the three you get wrong, right? Like it's just this deficit thinking. And so unless we're careful mm-hmm. and intentional about kind of overcoming that, then, you know, we, we start to fall to that imposter syndrome and adulthood and, and the negativity just starts to seep into who we are and who we think we are and our, puts those limiting beliefs on us as adults. And so listeners, I think, it's really pr- critical to listen to what Elizabeth is telling us. And actually, I'm listening to you going, okay, I need to implement the gratitude jar. I've thought about it. I've heard it. I've seen it. I haven't done it yet. So thank you for bringing that one up. Oh, you're so welcome. You know, just out of curiosity too, as we're since we're talking about this gratitude piece, is there anything um, that you would share that maybe you hadn't expected? But Because here's one thing that I have noted is that in the work that I'm doing with my balance message, I really focus on this idea of gratitude in, the, in my workshops and in my sessions. And I get so surprised how that comes back to me in unexpected ways. So I'm just curious, have you received some gratitude back after working with schools or whatever that has just kind of reminded you about that ripple effect that it can have? Oh, yes. Actually, just the other day, I was working with a class of students. It's at the school that I'm helping to develop a makerspace. And um, some of the kids were a little bit resistant about sharing what their ideas were with the design challenge that we were doing. And at one point, one of the kids that was a little bit more resistant and kind of skeptical of me because I was new and um, he was just very hesitant. But then after a while, he turned to me. He's like, you know, you're really nice. I didn't expect that. Oh. And it just really meant the world. And that same student at the end, we did a reflection activity. He made a comment that because I, I asked the question of, So share with me one thing that you learned today about what you do if you have a big idea of your own. And he came back with, I now know that if I have an idea, I need to believe in my idea because my ideas could change the world. So to me, Mm. like I felt that gratitude back. Like I felt like I impact a life. So even though he didn't say, I'm grateful for you, he didn't have to use those words. I still felt it back. That is so powerful too. And just that not only... Um, that reminder for the affirmation for your purpose in that moment, but also this idea that it doesn't need to say I'm grateful for to look like gratitude, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, so good. True. Okay, Elizabeth, there are two questions that I always ask on this podcast, and I'm just excited to hear your responses. I think the listeners have just gained so much really good value from you today and hearing not only your personal story, but just those really specific examples. And you really went through a lot of them as we were talking. Uh, but the two questions that I ask, one is if you were able to write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what advice would you give? So some of the advice that I would share with myself is that I would share the importance of slowing down, just being present and expressing more gratitude. And I would definitely articulate to myself that everything will come together when it's really meant to, and that you can't force things to happen at a certain time frame. And I would explain that the more we express gratitude, the more we wire our brains to think more positively so that I had that mindset all through my youth. 
And it's just so important to enjoy life and those you're with and continue working toward the dream that you have. So it's never to say like, oh, we're just going to step back and not work toward our goals, but enjoying the journey along the way is so important rather than rushing through. And in terms of the classroom, it's similar. I mean, relationships and with colleagues and students are most important. So I think if I were to write a letter, I would really emphasize the importance of relationships, um, embracing the moments and just expressing gratitude along the way, because I think it just makes the journey that much more beautiful. Oh, yes. It's such good advice. And it's helpful to hear from you. Um, and in thinking too, that that gratitude can be a superpower that we give to the youth in our lives. So thank you for that really wonderful advice out loud to yourself that we can gain from. Yay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. So how about this one? As an influential woman, if any of my listeners find themselves in a pit of fear or doubt, and they need to hear Elizabeth Bostwick's words to help them up out of it, what would you say? Well, sometimes in life, it can feel as though the odds are against us. We often balance so much um, from our family to our friends to our work, just like we were talking about earlier. It often feels like there's little to no time for anything else. And that can leave us drained. And as a result, it can actually make us feel uninspired towards what it is that we're working toward. We may even want to give up at times on what we're working on or we may convince ourselves that we're failing. And I think that if you find yourself in a pit of doubt or fear, just do everything that you can to take time for yourself. Even if it's just 20 minutes, go on a walk, breathe deeply, sit alone, go out for coffee and just begin listing what's going well. And I'll tell you, I had a struggle recently. Um, unfortunately, we had to put our dog down and that was really hard. And um, the days prior to that, when we first got the diagnosis that it was cancer, my mind went out to everything negative. It was, we're going to lose him and this is going to happen. And how is this going to affect our family and our kids? And um, I was spiraling with all these negative thoughts and I can share all I want that it's as easy as making a list and writing down what you're grateful for, but it's not that simple. And there's sometimes you just have to work really hard to pull your mind back together. And so for me recently, that's something that I really was faced with. And the reality of, yes, we can be having all of this gratitude, but sometimes we're going to be faced with those really big challenges or um, pits of doubt, fear. And it could be in terms of, I mean, it could be anything that we're faced with. It could be professionally, it could be in relationships um, or even with our beloved pets. But for me, in the moment, it actually dawned on me. I'm like, oh my goodness, I just wrote a whole blog about the importance of gratitude and the fact that we do control our mindset. And in that moment, I was just letting my mind kind of unravel. And so in that moment, it was really important that I began to list what I was grateful for. And I did. And it was hard and my brain kind of fought against it. Um, that might sound strange, but it did. My brain continued to want to look at all the things that were sad or awful with the whole situation. But I had to go into what I was blessed with, what I was grateful for. We were able to rescue the dog, um, Marley. We rescued him from a traumatic situation, from an abusive home. And he loved in our family so much. And that was a blessing for us. So again, I just want to say like when we begin listing what we're grateful for, it can help our mind go more in that positive direction. And so reflecting upon what you're grateful for, sometimes it's just the act of expressing gratitude that recenters us and allows us to restart with a fresh mindset. And we have to remember that we can't do everything perfectly. There will always be an ebb of flow that we need to direct or direct 
distract our attention in different ways. And we may move toward our goals more slowly than we'd prefer sometimes, but we have to trust that timing comes together when it's really meant to be. And so I just want people to understand that I'm not going to be somebody who just dismisses that we have big emotions because as humans, we have huge emotions and there are um, enormous things that we're faced with in life. And yes, we have to express those emotions and work through challenging times, but we can also do that by striving to identify what it is that we're appreciative in life and what's going well. Well, first I wanted to say, I'm sorry about Marley. I'm sorry about your experience there. Thank you. It's so hard. Our pets are, you know, they become a part of our families. That can be a real challenge when you're faced just like any other grief, you know, process. So I appreciate you vulnerably diving into that one to share. And also, I just really appreciate that example too, is no matter what it is you're facing, no matter the loss or the the challenge that you're in, that I really love how you illustrated this idea that your brain was fighting against it. And it's hard, it's not easy, but you're, it's like you're training a muscle. And I know, um, because you're um, connected with Levana, I know you're focused on that brain research too, right? So we can speak those truths out loud, and even in the darkness, and we can speak in affirmations, and it can have an impact, you know, it's challenging during those circumstances, but choosing, you know, scientifically our brain, I think it's Sean Acker, we, we can choose to focus our brain, our single processor brain on the finite resources, right? So like whatever it is you're focusing on, you can train your brain to do that. It just takes discipline and effort and attention. Absolutely. You're so correct. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I'm grateful that you did. I really appreciate. So um, would you want to, Elizabeth, uh, we're coming down to the end here, but just want to give you an opportunity to shout out uh, anybody that we should follow on social media. You're so well connected. And just if there's anybody that our listeners would connect and build their own learning network with. Well, I have so many people that I could share and I've shared different people in different podcasts. So today I'd like to just give a shout out and share that Anik Rauch is just a beautiful person to follow. Um, She's another educator. She lives in Canada and she shares blog posts from her heart. And I just love that she writes from the perspective as both a mother and educator. And just if you read her blog posts, they're just incredibly genuine and you can just really hear her voice throughout. Absolutely. So make sure to get her linked up so that the listeners can connect with her. Elizabeth, if my listeners, which I know they're going to want to, would like to engage with you directly after this interview, what would be the best way for them to connect with you? Twitter is probably one of the best ways, but they really could connect on Twitter, Instagram, Voxer, um, or my Facebook page. So any one of those works well, but I'm definitely on Twitter quite a bit and I do check my messages through there. Awesome. Well, listeners, as you know, I will be sure to link them so it's easy for you to get to her and connect and be inspired with all the great work that she does. And uh, Elizabeth, I'm just so grateful that you would take time out, especially during this really challenging time that just your family just experienced. And I'm thankful that you would give us this inspiring interview so that my listeners could be uplifted by your message today. Well, it was such an honor to connect with you and just have this conversation and share. So thank you so much. Thank you, Elizabeth. I continue to be completely awe-inspired by every single guest on this podcast, and I am so grateful every time you choose to share, rate, review an episode. It matters so greatly to the mission and the message of our guests, and I appreciate every time you help one another rise by lifting up the message. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you being a part of this awe-inspiring community.